Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Leviticus. Leviticus. And uh, we talked about this Wednesday night in Bible study and prayer time. Uh, Leviticus can be a very heavy book to read as it seems like we're getting the law in triplicate. And the more you read it, the more you hear about this sacrifice must be done this way. And boy, the heaviness of it. And it was even asked, you know, why so much and in such depth? And we talked about the trueness of how great Christ is in the fact that he fulfilled it all. Uh, to show the holiness of God. Turn to Leviticus chapter 10. And as you're turning to Leviticus 10, I, wouldn't you agree kids are brutally honest? Uh, they, they will tell you exactly what they're thinking. I can remember uh, in our first church having prayer meeting and uh, the kids were in service or asking prayer requests during a Sunday night service. And uh, they will, they'll ask prayer for their cousin's rabbit. And they'll ask prayer for they've heard their parents talk about their aunt's big toe and all these things. But as we continue through the prayer request this night, this little bitty girl, probably about six years old, she raised her hand. And I mean, she wasn't big as a minute. She raised her hand. And I thought she was going to have one of those sweet little prayers. And I called on her. And uh, I can't remember her name, but I can remember her brother's name because of the prayer request. She stood up and still wasn't much taller than the chair. And I said, I said, yeah, baby, what's your prayer request? She said, preacher, we just all need to pray for Nick because he's been sinning again. <laughs> Apparently he had had a rough weekend at home and mom and dad had had to work on Nick. And so she, I don't know if she was uh, proud that he was in trouble or scared for his life but she asked the whole church to pray for Nick. You see, they'll tell you exactly what they are thinking. Children think they can do anything. It's that childlike faith in many ways, and a lot of it is trying to find their place in the world. But children literally will believe they can do anything. Try to help one, and you'll most likely hear, I can do it, I can do it until they get a teenager and then they can't do anything. But as a child, I can remember trying to help my children with something. And it wasn't even I can do it, it was just I do it, I do it. Listen, as children of the Most High God, we, we ought to know better than to try and do things on our own. Yet we still tell him, I can do it all by myself. I can conduct worship. I can pastor. I can be a part of the church. I can be a father, a mother, a grandparent. I can be a teenager. I can be a youth leader, a children's worker, a Sunday school teacher. I can do it all by myself. Today, as we continue looking at our series on the word that God gave us for the year forward. 
we see two sons of Aaron there in the wilderness. As God was establishing the temple worship in the tabernacle, and God had gave that very clear delineation beginning in Exodus and into Leviticus, how they were to conduct business when they came before an awesome, terrible, holy, and loving God. We see these two sons of Aaron trying to do life by themselves and the cost of not going forward faithfully. And I, that picture that you see there is the top of the church uh, on an absolutely unbelievable afternoon atop Mount Carmel. Today we'll talk about fire. And the sky was as fire that, that afternoon as we stood there a little over a year ago and thought in this exact spot Elijah prayed and Elijah realized he couldn't do it alone that there were 450 Baal prophets and then four others that were servers of a mistress of a uh, false god that he took care of business that day but he said I can't do it alone God and he called upon God there on the Mount of uh, Mount Carmel and God sent fire down from heaven and honored his request. Now look with me in Leviticus chapter 10. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer or his vessel and put fire in it, put incense on it and offered strange or unauthorized or some of your versions may say that they offered profane fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. Did you hear that? Which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died. Before the Lord. Oh, how could that happen? How could a loving God allow such depravity to go on in the world? I want you to understand something. God is never, we, we often want to just explain things away because we don't want to deal with reality. And so we say, well, uh, there, there's just always a reason for everything that happened. I want you to understand something. God did not ordain abortion. God did not ordain adultery. God did not ordain uh, child abuse. God didn't do that. We did. Adam and Eve sinning, rebelling against God brought sin upon all mankind. And it does break my heart. So many who are hurting today because their loved ones have left this earth. And I am not talking about a direct sin. But I'm telling you, sin killed every one of them. And one day it's going to kill you. The difference is, are we alive in Christ, who we are, so that the body dies, but the spirit is forever alive? It's a big question, but it demands an answer. Jesus looked at his apostles and said, who do men say that I am? So it was all about hearsay at that point. They said, well, some say the prophets and Elijah and Jeremiah and Isaiah. 
And Jesus turns, and I believe, pointed the most godly finger, the only one who could ever point a finger, and pointed it straight at Peter and said, but who do you say that I am? My friends, we can't just group up everything and think we're being faithful by following and doing whatever God has not commanded. We must give an answer to a most holy God who is Jesus to us. We cannot do it all by ourselves. Even our best is as filthy rags. So it said they died. Fire went out and they died. And Moses in verse 3 said to Aaron, this is what the Lord told you. This is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. How many times in your life, and I know in mine, have I said, God, how could this happen? How would you allow it? And God says, where you been? You walked yourself into this valley. You put yourself in this position. How dare you shake your fist at me when your faithfulness has not been anywhere close to what I command. You've been depending on yourself. You've been depending on the things of this world. You have not been in my word. You have not been praying. You have not been evangelizing. You've not been discipling. You're nowhere close to where you're supposed to be. Now think about it. Aaron was put right next to Moses. He's actually his uncle. God was using him in a great way through this wilderness. But you know Aaron failed, didn't he? We talked about that a few weeks ago. How did Aaron fail? Aaron failed because when Moses went up, and it never says that, Mo, that Aaron believed that Moses wasn't coming back. But under the pressure of the people, and this is, listen, it was cancel culture. Aaron bought into the cancel culture of the day and said, oh, they said, he's not coming back. He's not coming back. We need a God to lead us. And Aaron gave in to that pressure. He said, bring all your gold and all your jewelry. And he put it in there. And then he literally, listen, have you ever caught your child doing something? And I mean, they're red-handed. The hand is in the cookie jar. And they will somehow try to make up an excuse of how the cookie jar just jumped around their hand. We have several police officers here. And the things that, they, that people use as an excuse is un believable literally well Aaron literally told Moses he said hey I just threw the stuff in the fire and boom out come a calf that's more likely than believing that there was some pond scum and a lightning source just happened to hit up and caused a one cell amoeba and poof here we are Casey, that's like saying, I want to build a new house. And I start praying, oh God, build me a house, build me a house. And, and I talked to Becky and I said, hey, I want us to build a house. And she said, well, I think that's a good idea. 
But we need land and we need to have the money to buy materials. Well, I'm just going to trust. Trust in what? I'm just going to trust it's going to happen. Blind faith is not faith. But it's like I go to bed one night and I'm praying, oh God, I, I want this house. And I'm trusting myself. And I'm, I'm trusting my positive energy. And all this worldly, ungodly language we hear now when people are suffering or hurting and we say we're sending good vibes or good thoughts. What does that even mean? I'm going to send you some good thoughts. So I go to bed at night having me a good thought. I'm dreaming about my new house. And I get up in the morning and I hear and I read on my phone that Claxton Hardware has exploded. They don't understand why it just blew up. And I drive by a piece of property that I've won I haven't even bought. And I drive by there and there's a big sign out there that says Matt and Becky's new home. And it's completely built and completely furnished. Down to the very items I wanted in my own little man cave. I mean, I've already got all the stuff hanging on the wall. Everything's just right. How likely is that to happen? But that's what the world tells you when they say, we believe in science over fiction. I'm going to tell you, that's fiction. Fact is, in the beginning, God. But what happens is, we take our eyes off of it, and we're not operating in the place God wanted. Now, I want you to notice something with me right off the bat. It said, Nadab and Abihu, he named them. You cannot hide in the economy of God. Either he knows you as child or he knows you as rebel. He said the sons of Aaron took their censer and put fire in it. Now here's the problem. They were not the right people to be doing this. Turn back to Exodus just real quick to chapter 30. Exodus 30, just a few pages. About 20 chapters. Exodus 30, verse 7. And he's talking about the altar of God. And he's talking about all that stuff that went on in that tabernacle. And he says in Exodus 30, verse 7. Aaron. How did it start? Aaron. It didn't say his Nadab. It didn't say Abihu. It said Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. You shall not offer strange, same word that we find in Leviticus chapter 10, unauthorized, strange, profane incense upon it, or as a burnt offering or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron, he started it and he ended it with Aaron. Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Listen, wasn't their job. Some of us go through life doing anything and everything 
except for what God's calling us to do. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not just preaching this off of paper. I'm preaching that, this from experience. From God's call on my life to stand in a pulpit, two years wasted in my life, running in rebellion, full-on Balaam effect. Full on Jonah, as far as I could get. And I'm going to tell you something. That whale moment in my life, as bad as it seemed at the moment, was the greatest thing that happened as God got my attention. Now here's my prayer for everyone in this room, and especially for all believers, that you will allow God to get your attention before he has to send the whale. That you will operate as the right person in the right place. Listen, it was their father's job. And what was the father's role? Was he a priest? Yeah. But he was, that's right, he was the priest. He was the high priest. He was the mediator between God and the children of Israel. Now every year, once a year he said, in the context we just read, he was to take those offerings every day, morning and evening, he would burn the incense, but once a year, he was to go in and offer that sacrifice for the covering of sin. And I want you to get this right off the bat. The Bible is clear, especially through the book of Hebrews. Jesus is our high priest. You cannot negotiate your way into heaven. There is no sacrifice you can offer on the altar of God that somehow, some way is going to get you into the presence of a most holy God. And hear this, listen, if you can be good enough, if you can give enough, if you can serve enough to somehow attain the holiness to stand before a holy God, then why in the world did Jesus have to die? But he did, because you can't. Jesus is our high priest. There is no other way to the throne of God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. When you teach your children to pray, always teach them that they're going before a holy God, and the only way to get there is through his son, Jesus Christ. We are Trinitarians. We believe in a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe all three are God. They're not three gods. There's one God in three person. Three in one, one in three. And bless God, the one in the middle died for me. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not entitled to think however we want. Hear me today, you have a right to your own opinion. But not only do you not have a right to your own truth, you don't have a right to your own interpretation. The Bible says there is no private interpretation. There is no secret Bible codes. God doesn't operate like that. And I was talking to someone yesterday. Listen, we complicate things. We complicate 
things. We try to make it harder than what it is. I'm telling you something. If it was hard, I couldn't have figured it out. But it's as simple as God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you can't think, well, it's Jesus plus. It's Jesus and. It's Jesus multiplied. My friends, it's only Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus. You're not entitled to think however you want. Yeah, but I read this new book. I, I gave, and I saw where someone here, uh, and I thought it was remarkable and very mature, asked online, said, what's the best advice you were ever given? And I wanted to write, don't plant your corn in the rain. But uh, I, I read something, I, I put something a little bit more spiritual to the matter, but the greatest of advice you can be given is to always, always trust Jesus. I, I wrote down, don't look for something better and miss God's best. Lynn Turner told me that one time. And I thought, man, that's, that's good. And that's stuck with me. Don't look for something better and miss God's best. But here's the deal. I gave, uh, someone else texted me this weekend, a, a young preacher boy that uh, I officiated their wedding over 10 years ago and led his wife to the Lord. And God has just used them miraculously but he texted me uh, a thank you. He said, you gave me this bit of advice years ago. And until now, in the middle of seminary, I did not realize how true it was. You told me that if the author's li still living, it's probably not worth reading. He said, you told me the best authors are dead and gone. He said, I didn't realize how true that was until now. My point is, we'll listen to what some talk show host says. We'll, we'll listen to what the current most popular blog or vlog or whatever it is is saying. We will listen to what athletes and famous musicians and artists and movie stars, we'll listen to what they say and we won't listen to what God says. We're not entitled to think how we want. But then we're not free to do what we want. Say so we can just, now you can do whatever you want, but you're not entitled to it. The Bible's very clear. You know, when I worked in construction, if we roofed a house, we would price the house. We'd say it's going to take this many squares, it's going to take this long, it's so much for takeoff, so much for put down, so much for cleanup. And we knew, and the homeowner knew right up front what it was going to cost. And when we got done, we didn't want to wait a month. We wanted to get paid because the job was finished. It was our money up there at that moment until they paid us. And so when we were done, they would write a check and we would take it deposited in the bank. They paid us for the work done. I'm telling you something. There's a lot of checks that we're going to cash in eternity that we wish we'd have never worked for. 
For the wages of sin is death. I'm old enough to already regret the harvest in some of the fields I planted. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We're not free to do what we want. But then I want you to notice in the same verse that not only were they the wrong people, they were using the wrong tools. Are you using the right tools in your life? Are you using the right tools? Look, look in verse 1, the latter part. It said they took, each one took his own censer. Now we've already seen that they were not the right people. Now look at this. They were using the wrong tools. They used their own censers, their own vessels. Once again, back in Exodus chapter 40, last chapter of Exodus. He said this in verse 9. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and you shall hallow it and all its utensils, and it shall be holy. They weren't using that. They took their own censers. How many of us are trying to serve God in our own energy? We're trying to meet the mark in our own power and in our own authority. Are we using the right tools. Now I want to both warn you and encourage you. Number one, you can't do everything. I know uh, the old saying goes that the Catholics will pray you to death and the Baptists will work you to death. If you come to church faithfully in most Baptist churches for a month or two, they'll have you on every committee possible. Oh, we think... She needs to be serving in this and she needs to be keeping in the nursery and she needs to be teaching Sunday school and working with this and doing this. And everybody needs to pitch in. We got enough people. We can do all that needs to be done and more if we would just operate within the parameters that God's called us and use the tools. Every one of you have a very specific set of tools God's given you. You know, I've got a toolbox at home that I've carried everywhere I go. But if I go down to Dean's shop and work on my car, I've kind of got it memorized. But still, there's tools that I may need. I'll have to go ask Dean. And usually, he don't know. But he knows where it's supposed to be. And then we go on a wild goose hunt and we look all over until we find that tool. Because they're his tools. He knows how those tools are set up. And he got a whole lot more tools than I do. That's what he's done his whole life. Uh, but even, uh, there's a lot of things I can't do, Dean could do. But even at that, there's times where me and him look at each other and says, we need to call somebody. We, none of us can do everything. Some people are so talented. Man, I, I couldn't play a one-string guitar. Not if I had to try to do both hands. I mean, my mind just don't work like that. It's hard for me to play a radio. I've got the new truck, and I still want to try to put a key in it somewhere. I can't get used to mashing buttons for everything. That's like some old 58 Buick or something where you mash the buttons to change the transmission, mash buttons to change. Kids don't remember this, Mike. They don't remember pressing a button to change the radio station. I'm talking about having to press it about that far, like you're trying to get a pack of gum out of a machine. 
Listen, you can't do everything. You know why? The Bible says we are broken vessels that can hold no water. Think about that. Do you know how you fill up a broken vessel? You put it under the tap and turn it on wide open. And it must stay there. The moment that vessel leaves the tap, the water will leak out. We must constantly put ourselves under the shower of God's grace. Because when we just sit our own vessel apart from meeting, why is Sunday school important? Number one, it's the Word of God. But number two, you need that support group in your life. Do you know what I hear more frequently than anything else? Yes, when family members die, the church does remarkable. But it's their Sunday school class. It's their small group class. It is the women's ministry, the men's ministry. It is the children's leaders. It is the adult leaders. It is the specific areas where you have personal contact regularly. Those class members reach out and encourage. We can't do everything because we're broken vessels. We've got to stay under the tap of grace. But here's the truth. We can't do anything. It's not just that we can't do everything. We can't do anything without God. Some of us have been at that point where we had to cry out, Lord, save me. I can't, whether it's been through physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. I gave the devotion yesterday at a wounded warrior retreat. And I shared one of my life verses at one of the lowest points in my life under the greatest spiritual warfare I've ever experienced. Paul told Timothy, first in verse 6, he said, stir up, kindle the gift that God has given you. Use what God has given you. But then he says, but God has not given you a spirit of fear, Timothy, but of power and love and a sound mind. And a friend, and a pastor friend of mine was talking this week, and he gave me this word. He said, I didn't come up with this, but man, it's good. He said, you need to, people need to understand that fear and faith cannot occupy the same space in your heart. I'm like, wow. Because perfect love does what? It casts it out. It gets rid of it. A sound mind God will give you to think on these things, the clear things that are Lord. God has given us power and love and a sound mind. We can't do anything without him. Listen, we're broken wounds that can hold no life. I just read through the story of Sarah the other day and how she was barren and couldn't have, she couldn't carry a child. God visited her, the Bible says, way past a woman's time. To the point that said, you're going to have a child. And what did she do? She laughed. And then she told all the people and they laughed. Aha, it's a funny joke. But it wasn't no joke, was it? You see, Hannah went and she prayed so hard because she couldn't have children that they thought she was drunk. They said, woman, you going to come in here? You're going to come in here to pray to God and be drunk? She said, oh no, I'm not drunk, I'm broken. I'm broken, I'm empty, and I cannot carry any life within me. And God met her like he met Sarah and said, take hope. 
You can't do anything, but I can do everything. You like that? Now, I'm going to tell you something. If we needed that encouragement ever in our life, it's today. You can't do anything, but he can do everything. Everything. He can fix your marriage. He can fix your job. Hey, you know, a lot of times he don't fix your job. He gives you one better. My friends, we can't do anything. Only Jesus can save us and give us true purpose. All else is empty, empty effort. It's lifeless. We're just a lifeless vessel without Christ occupying and us using the right tools. Listen, are you serving at the right time? The Bible's very clear, and for sake of time, I won't read it, but Ecclesiastes, you know what it says. There's a time and a season for all things. My daddy had his own version of that. My daddy said, there's a time and a place for everything. He would tell us boys that over and over and over again. I didn't want to hear it. You know why I never wanted to hear my daddy? Because my daddy spit truth. I didn't want to hear truth. I wanted to have uh, my life supported the way I wanted it supported. In my way. First of all, in my time. I wanted to do what I wanted at this time. And everywhere along the line, what I set as priority one in my life at certain times, I'm going to get married by this age, have children by this age, do this by this age, have this by this age. Not one single one of those have come true. Not one. They all are laying on the waste hip, uh, heap of American history of a man with the wrong idea. Are we serving in God's time? Well, I got news for you. The Bible tells, you, tells us all, listen to me, if you miss everything else, and you don't know Jesus Christ today, and the Holy Spirit is so convicting you, you feel like you've got sinner written across your forehead in neon letters. You're saying, why does the preacher got to be so specific? Preacher's not. Preacher doesn't have any idea about the secret things of your life. But God does. And the Bible tells us that now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. I've yet to get a call from a family member that says, hey, you remember that funeral you did last week, last month, 10 years ago? Hey, I got a word that they got saved after they died. It's never happened. And it's not going to happen because there's a time for it. And today is that day. Today is the day to get your life where it needs to be with the Lord. Today is the day that we ought to be rushing his altar and said, oh God, it's me. It's me. It's not him. It's not her. Oh, if they'd have been here, they'd have heard it. Boy, it would have been good if they'd been here. God knew you were going to be here. And today's the time for you to set things right in your life, to do it God's way. He tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. They're above anything we could imagine, anything we could ever think. My friends, stop trying to live your life your way. Give it to God. God's way. Those of you who have surrendered to God's way, aren't you glad? I, I'm going to tell you I'd been dead in the ditch a long time ago. 
as, the, as David said, had it not been for the Lord. Had it not been for God, this would have happened. That would have happened. Had it not been for God, I would be lost and in sin. Had it not been for God. Are you serving at the right time? There are people sitting here today that's waiting for somebody to come ask them to do something. I'm here to tell you, I am not your high priest. I cannot know your spiritual giftedness unless we sit down and talk about it. I cannot know what God has planted in your heart. And I surely am not about to cross a line and try to tell you what God's will is for your life. But many of you sitting here today know God's will is for you to serve in a certain capacity. And it's time to tell him Tell me, tell other leaders in this church so that we can get you into the spot to serve at the right time and serve the right way. Listen, are you following the right authority? Are you following the right authority? I once had the opportunity to host vice president for a town hall meeting up home. My uh, congressman's chief of staff and I were friends. They called and said, I want pastors to host the vice president. Would you be interested? And I said, sure. He said, well, somebody will call you. I said, okay. And so I'm riding down the road and I phone rings and I answer the phone because it wasn't illegal then. And there wasn't anything to mash except flip it open and hit the green button. And I said, hello. He said, uh, he didn't ask me who I was. He told me who I was. He said, uh, Mr. Brady, this is special agent so-and-so in charge of the Secret Service. And I was right by a friend of mine's church, pulled over in that parking lot and put it up in part like I had met with God over the phone. And I said, yes, sir. I felt like he was sitting in the truck with me. I answered all those questions. And he would, and any question, he would ask them almost rhetorically. Now, your grandmother, your mother's mother, her maiden name was, the, I'm not joking you. And you went to this elementary school, and you did this, and your wife's maiden name is this, and your children's name is this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, we've got your record from working for Cobb County and for the state. We've got your fingerprint stuff, we will be doing our final stuff and we'll be letting you know. And he didn't say stuff. And I got the call that I had been approved. And I had to go by my congressman's office and pick up my credentials. And I had to wear those credentials around my neck, big yellow credentials that were approved. And when I walked into that place and they're all standing there and don't try to shake one's hand. They're just going to stare a whole, I mean, they see your soul. They're trained with x-ray vision. And they're standing there at the door, and someone's checking the ID, and when they check your ID, it's like going through customs. If you've ever been through customs, when they open your passport, and they look at it for a minute, and then they look up and look into your soul. Look down, look up. Since 9-11, they've added about three more looking up and downs. And then they'll stamp it, hand it to you. They looked at my ID, 
They said, we want to see some other ID. Showed them other ID. They said, all right, you go in, you go back there to special agent so-and-so, and you'll be meeting the vice president here. I had the right credentials. Listen, it was based on the authority of what that special agent had given me, and I could do anything I wanted to in there under their authority. Genesis 3, 9, 11 says that Adam challenged God's authority. And so when he rebelled against God and ate of the tree, that God said, don't eat, number one. God came walking in the cool of the day, and he asked this question. Adam, Adam, where are you? Now, do you think God didn't know where Adam was? He knew. He wanted Adam to realize where Adam was. You see, we've got to answer this question because God's asking you in your heart today, whose authority are you operating under? And he's going to ask it first of all by saying, where are you? Where are you in your walk? Are you walking in sin or are you walking with God? Do you know there's only like five people in the Bible that says walk with God? Enoch walked with God. Enoch's walking with God one day. He said that, didn't he? It says, and Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. I, you know, and I've heard this a long time ago. Enoch and God's just strolling down through there talking about eternity. Enoch's like, this is so great. God said, yeah. He said, you know what, Enoch? We're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just go with me? God took him. Are you hiding? Adam says, I'm, God, I'm, I'm over here. Said, what are you doing, Adam? He said, well, I'm naked. Who said? Who said you're naked? How would you know that? You're naked all that other time. You never thought anything about it. Why do you think about it now? The point is, he's saying, who are you listening to, Adam. Who's telling you these things that you didn't need to know before? Now, I want to, just a sidebar for a minute, a very quick minute. Listen, adults, parents, there's adult conversations that may go on and need to go on in your home, but they don't need to happen around your children. Let your children be children, for heaven's sake. They don't need to hear about your business. They don't need to hear all that stuff. They don't need to hear adult, grown-up stuff. Don't let them just sit. And you think they're not watching all the depravity and the negativity of news and other stuff in this world? My friends, we need to be guarding this generation. What are you listening to? I'd make a good song. What are you listening to? Are you listening to God? Day in, day out, every moment of your life, when you go to bed, when you get up in the morning, is God's Word written on your heart and on the eyelids of your eyes that whether you're awake or asleep, you're meditating on who God is? Or are you trusting the lie? And remember this. Satan's who told him he was naked to his spirit because he had entered into the brokenness of the flesh. But I want you to remember, now God said this. God says, thou shalt not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, lest ye surely die. Right? God spoke in Old English. Lest ye surely die. 
here's what Satan said. You shall not surely die. He didn't come up with a 12-step program to explain away. He didn't come up with a secular apologetic for how to argue against everything that is God and everything that is wrong about God. He simply changed it by adding one word. Thou shalt not surely die. And in so doing, became the father of all lies. For in that act, all men have died. It was even because of that Jesus died. Do you realize that? But not because of his own sin, but because of ours. Who are you listening to? And then, are we burning with the right fire? Are we burning with the right fire? You know, there's different kinds of fires. And I'm not fully trained on it like our firemen are. But I do know enough to know that there's a difference between a wood fire and a grease fire. I know that there's different kinds of suppression systems that go in commercial kitchens versus putting out a structure fire. There's different kinds of treatment that you would put on an electrical fire versus a gas or a wood fire. There's different ways because there's different fires. This was to be an act of submission submissive worship listen to what he said it said they offered profane unauthorized strange fire a fire that God did not recognize they offered a fire in rebellion before the Lord which he had not commanded them can I tell you something Saul said the same thing he said oh look he said what's all that the prophet said what's all that I'm hearing what's all that bleeding of the sheep what I, what's all that noise? He said, oh, man, would you look? Would you look what I brought to offer before God? And the prophet wasn't impressed because God wasn't impressed. He says, is that what God told you to do? Well, I just wanted, I thought this would be good. What about the king over there? Oh, we put his eyes out, man. We've showed that our God's God. And the prophet issued these words, obedience. Is better than sacrifice. This was to be an act of submissive worship that only Aaron was to do. It was an act of subversive rebellion. That they were going to do it their way, with their tools, being the wrong person at the wrong time, under the wrong authority. And they brought strange fire. It became all about their own agenda. My friends, Jesus Christ is bigger than any of us. He's bigger than the church at Eastside. We think, well, it'll always be here and uh, they couldn't live without me. Number one, everybody's expendable. And there is no one that's non-replaceable. You know how I know that? Turn to the first, you don't, you ain't got to do it right now. But all you have to do is go to those first three chapters of Revelation and realize that the prophecy that Jesus issued, the warning he gave all seven churches, that Jesus told them through John, none of those seven churches exist today. None of them. There's hardly even any believers remotely located in that area. You don't know why? 
Because when it becomes about our agenda, he said, you left your first love. He said, you've become lukewarm. Over and over and over, he issued those warnings. Number one, these guys, they said, it's about our emotion. Oh, this is going to be great. Dude, you could just see them sitting there at night and said, hey, tomorrow, let's take our sensors and let's go get us some coals and we'll build our own coals. The coals were supposed to come off the altar of God and then God's incense in God's censer by God's man. Everything was wrong. You know how we get sideways? When we interject our own emotions over that which is right. Well, so I just believe God understands. I'm going to tell you what God understands. God's holy and we're not. Can't be about emotions. You can't operate on emotions. One of the truest signs of that, I always refer back to this. In Mike Tyson's heyday, I believe he was greater than any other boxer ever. Muhammad Ali twice over. Mike Tyson was the greatest heavyweight boxer of all time. He was unbeatable. Until one night in Japan, he met a guy by the name of Buster Douglas. But you see, Buster Douglas was a really good boxer. But he couldn't carry Mike Tyson's water. The difference was, in this night, Buster Douglas had just lost a parent. And he was so emotionally charged to go in there and, and fight that match to box that match in honor of his loved one who had passed away. And crying as he won that match, won that boxing match, and the whole world was watching and making gazillions of dollars, all he could say is, I want to dedicate this, I believe, to my father who just passed away. He was so emotionally charged, he would not be defeated. I don't know that he ever won another match after that night. The next rematch, Mike Tyson beat him like a red-headed stepchild. And everyone else beat him down. It was an emotionally charged night. It did not stick. And there's people who come to church and they get so excited they join everything. And in six months, even the Homeland Security, DEA, ATF, and the FBI couldn't find them. They just disappear. They don't come anymore. I mean, they're coming to Sunday school, prayer meeting, serving, singing, everything. But it was all emotions. Ego. Ego. Is it about being seen? Is it about being important? Is it about power? You know, the Bible doesn't tell us that, the that money is the root of all evil. People quote that so wrong. We see a lot of great things happen through the money. That it, and money's not necessarily bad. I mean, I like to eat, don't y'all? I mean, I like to be able to get in my truck when I need to and have gas. It takes money to buy those things. It takes money to send missionaries on the field. It takes those things. But when we love money, then it becomes power. That's when it, what happens. We love the power. We, we get a position in the church and we think automatically we're the one in charge. I'm going to tell you something. I'm the pastor. I'm the under-shepherd of this flock, but I'm not the shepherd. 
I answer to God. And standing here this morning as we sang those songs, when we, said, when we sang God is so good, I had to just close my eyes and think of how good God really is. And I didn't have time to thank him for everything because we was running out of song. And so I said, God, I get it. You're God and I'm not. Is it passion? We have passion for our sports. We have passion for our family. We have passion for being part of something. But is it really about God? These guys had passion. But everything was wrong. Or is it the Spirit of God? Listen, as they come to the instruments this morning, I want to ask you, listen to this. It said in verse 3 that after the fire had come down and devoured them and they died, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. And Aaron kept his mouth shut. I want to ask you something today, church. My friends, are you burning the right fire in your life? Is it the Spirit of God that drove you here today? Is it the Spirit of God that's motivating you to sing or just some talent? Is it ego? Is it pride? Is it power? Is it passion? Oh, I just love to do this. And I love to do that. Yes, but things fade. There's things that when I was younger, man, I would spend piles of money to be able to go do those things. And now it doesn't mean a lick to me because it was a, fa a fading, passing passion. But the Spirit of God does not fade when we give Him authority in our life to be what He wants us to be. Is Christ, as we heard a while ago, magnified in our life? Christ be magnified in our life. Is there a fire burning in us to serve Him? And here's the most important question. Are we dying to the wrong fire? rather than dying in it or because of it. Dying to the wrong fire. Dying to those things that's trying to burn us up in this world. We're dying to sin that we may live in Christ. My friends, Jesus died to set you free from the bondage and the fires of judgment. Trust Him today. Stand and come. Come to the right altar as the right person in the right tool of submission and trust Him. Come. Come to Jesus.